What's up, beautiful people of the Trigger Proof community? If you're listening on replay on this podcast or YouTube channel, what's up? I just decided earlier today to go live and answer some questions uh, that I've been getting in my DMs and emails about healing trauma, uh, about changing the narrative of uh, the relationship patterns that we're having again and again and again, how to create a secure relationship. Is this worth, is this relationship I'm with worth salvaging? And what do I do? Should I stay or go? You know, there's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of information um, and very little transformation. A lot of information about uh, relationships. And believe me, um, if you asked me about four years ago that I would be teaching about this this type of thing, I would have thought you were crazy. Who am I to be uh, talking about relationships? After all, I'm, a, I'm trained as a chiropractor. I uh, have... I have pretty much spent my entire life focusing on healing patients that come to my office. Let's heal. And I started uh, who want healing, who have gone to doctors and have tried various things. And I noticed certain people just don't get better. There was a pattern in the people that just didn't get better. And my ego didn't like it. Uh, I wanted to make sure everyone, you know, it was frustrating to me. I wanted to be that the place that they went to. My ego really needed that validation of being able to save them or rescue them. And then I realized that's the that kind of thought pro pattern and that thought process was the very reason that keeps people stuck in disempowerment. And it's our attachments. It's our unresolved attachment wounds, our attachment traumas from childhood the stuff we don't even know that's traumatic. I didn't even know that being separated from my mother for three months at the age of two was traumatic. After all, I don't have an actual memory of it, right? So how could it be affecting me? Well, it turns out I wasn't very trauma-informed at the time. And when I discovered this, it made me really want to go on a new path. Uh, the path to discovery for all this stuff, like in my life, isn't a positive one. Like in most cases, a wake-up call was needed. In my relationship, we were four years in a very highly volatile, codependent, push-pull dynamic. I just thought it was passion. I just labeled it passion. Sex was good. It was... <clears throat> you know, we, we were aligned with personal development. She kind of joined my community and was a coach there and was training. And we were just doing what we loved. It's just we really had a really volatile dynamic in the background that would get triggered. Abandonment wounds would get triggered when her abandonment wounds would get triggered. I didn't have the capacity that I do now to be able to understand and empathize. I just saw the pattern for me, which was this was exactly like my mother, a volatile, highly emotional, uh, extremely kind of bipolar um, woman that just you couldn't please her no matter what. There was no pleasing, you know, and it was kind of like emotionally dead. And that just felt like home. And here was the other part. Uh, loved me through unreasonable amount of anxiety. I just thought that that's love, right? That's how, that's what love is. So 
because of my kind of conditioning, that kind of dynamic was normal, right? Volatility, arguments, and then, you know, you repair and then move on. I didn't really know that that was, uh, I didn't know what, I didn't know how to compare it because I didn't know what a secure relationship is. And this is why many people who find themselves stuck in these toxic dynamics will often say, you know, will say things like, I didn't, I didn't, you know, why did I stay so long? Why did I keep staying? Why didn't I, um, uh, why did I step over all of these red flags? There's good reason why we do that. It's because if you were raised with an alcoholic father and you had to clean him up and, you know, cover up for him and basically wipe his ass and kind of be a surrogate parent, it's called parentification. That's normal and familiar. So when you're with a guy or with a partner, a, a woman, whoever, uh, this works both ways, by the way. Um, if you're with somebody and normally in a normal, it not, I don't want to use the word normal, in a healthy dynamic that didn't have that with you had secure attachments where that kind of behavior, you didn't have to step up and you know clean up after your parents or take care of them emotionally or anything like that. You'd be able to look at that. You'd be able to look at that and you'd be able to just nip that in the bud and go, yeah, that's not cool. Red flag, I'm out of here. But what if this was the way that you were raised? What if that's all you've ever known? What happens is we become bonded to our trauma. <coughs> that's essentially what it is. We think that it's bad, but it's familiar. Even if it's familiar, if you were called a piece of shit growing up, that's familiar. You'll tolerate that. That won't be a red flag to you. As soon as you get into an argument, they call you piece of shit. You're like, oh, that's familiar. I'm, you know, let's see. Let's see. And this is what your unconscious mind will say. Let's see if I can resolve what was unresolved with mom or dad through finding love in this partner. Let's see if I can make this person be the mother to me that I never had. And you're doing that with both. Both of you are doing it to one another unconsciously. This is what a trauma bond is. It's, it's an unconscious pull to repeat what's familiar. Freud called it the repetition compulsion. And it's not a conscious thing. That's why when you take your friends out for coffee and they tell you about their relationship problems, you're like, Psh, girl, girl, let me tell you what you need to do. But then when it comes to your own life, there's a massive blind spot. Everybody else can see. Everybody can see it. The truth is, you know it. But when you're entangled within a trauma bond, you don't want to look. This was the same with me. My parents, when they first met her, it was an interesting thing. They met her at a Halloween party in my office. This was when I was just leaving chiropractic. She came in as an identity crisis. Her, 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 I thought it was charming. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, she came in as an identity crisis, which is very fitting. Look at what we chose in our first kind of dating Halloween party together. As we were getting together, it was very telling of the whole relationship. You're going to think I'm making this up, but it's actually true. She came in as she was, didn't know what to be for Halloween. Didn't know what to be because she had just left a relationship with a woman. She was with a woman for six years. So she was uh, kind of the masculine role in that same sex partnership. 
that wasn't working out for her. She meets me, sees an opportunity with this work. She's also a student of uh, John Martini's. sees a business opportunity. And in that moment, has a kind of identity crisis. And when somebody who has kind of like a borderline personality disorder type of cluster B type, the, the it's also known as a dissociative identity, you know, and, and we were both deep in, a, in, in which is all a um, adaptation to trauma. All of these, all of these disorders and whatever, they're all just adaptations to trauma. That's all they are. It's just, I don't like the names, but because we're still in this this old kind of world thinking, I'm going to speak to you in this in that language. And when you decide that you're ready to heal this kind of thing, what we do is we have to change the language around it. So I usually talk to people in my uh, podcasts and my um, uh, Facebook lives using language that is kind of in the uh, mainstream. So you'll you'll. I'll use words like narcissism, narcissism, uh, borderline personality, codependency. Like these are all part of the kind of uh, interpersonal tra traumatic relations. So we got to talk in that language. So with that experience, a dissociative identity, which I didn't know at the time, is part of the, the trauma. So in that moment, she was uh, an identity crisis. Am I straight? Am I gay? <clears throat> uh, she was also leaving, you know, closing down her cafe. So am I a cafe owner? Am I this? Am I that? She also was uh, running, uh, which kind of like I overlooked or I thought it was amusing. Another red flag that I just kind of brushed aside and sure as fuck didn't tell my parents about. <clears throat> they were more traditional. And so it's not like um, my, my brother's wife is a lawyer. So her other job, uh, she had a kind of like semi-legal gray area uh, online sex work support. So she was exploiting women uh, who were sex workers and kind of like a booking system. Anyway, I just brushed that aside. Oh, semi-legal. She was this identity crisis. Do I go this way? Do I go that way? What am I here? Do I work as a cafe owner? And also, here was another one. After I worked with her and I did kind of the, the magic uh, in the method that I uh, had created, adapting John's work and bringing somatic, John Martini's work and Byron Katie's work and bringing in somatic uh, experiencing within it, um, she was able to dismantle her food sensitivities. And this was a big shock because she created a cafe so that she can have a place to eat because everything she was allergic to. So when we did the work on her and when I first met her, she was able to eat gluten for the very first time in six years. And so all of a sudden her identity as this gay, uh, gluten sensitive, kind of sickly food allergy, um, cafe owner is now this reality is not working for her it's crumbling and it's time for her to create a new reality so at the time it felt the next best thing to create this new identity which was a powerhouse coach healing trauma she had that experience and she wanted to learn more she started hanging out with me we were hanging out as friends and then all of a sudden Next thing I know, she's doing 
all this amazing work in my um, in my business. She's helping. She's not asking for a dollar. She's just there. It's like she's knows how to, you know, which is very classic of uh, codependency and, and, and kind of like the cluster B borderline is that it's called merger fusion, merger fusion. That's one of the kind of attachments that happens during a trauma bond. It's the borderline and the narcissist, which was me. I was playing that role in this dynamic. What, what they do is they find one that's going to be the best next step and then f merge and fuse with that person, making them completely uh, uh, dependent on you. And me, I, psh, I was leaving chiropractic. I needed, I didn't have as much self-esteem. I sure as heck didn't love myself. And she just jumped in and helped in so many ways and gave, provided me with sex, services, and supply, narcissistic supply, validating me. It was like, crack cocaine to me. And I provided an identity for her that she could now take on, which would be her next jump. So she became my kind of uh, CEO. And I basically, and we started working together with this. I wasn't really romantic at the beginning, but then next thing you know, that started after a while. So before I knew it, um, I was involved in this relationship while business was tied together. And when I would see my dad, he would give me these little kind of question marks like, do you guys have a contract? I'm, no, no, I don't need one. I don't like this. I don't like this. And, 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 when I, and they met her during that uh, experience and she, had, she was kind of playing an identity crisis. And I thought, isn't that cute? And she's like, we don't like that. We, what, you know, that there's a red flag. So they saw the red flag. They didn't know what she did in the background, but I kept it hidden because of my shame. I didn't want my fantasy, which was to leave chiropractic and really teach what I really wanted to teach, change lives, heal from kind of like not in my office. And I felt that she was the one that's going to help me get there. She felt that I was the one that's going to help her with her goals, very goal-oriented. This is one of the keys about trauma bonds and kind of the narcissist codependent cycle that we really have to look out for is there's a manipulative undertone that you're using one another to get something. You're, it's kind of like a goal-oriented. So for, so for the narcissist, they want sex, services, and supply. For the borderline codependent, they want... You know, uh, <laughs> there's a desire for some sort of purpose or identity because there's such a hollow, empty core. There's no self. So the self is defined when you're codependent entirely by the other person. That's why when we're working with people with codependency and we're doing discovery calls to see if they're a fit for our programs, we're always asking, so how did that make you feel? How did that make you feel? And one of the key things we look out for is totally a blind spot with codependence is they keep going and talking about him. They keep going and talking about their partner. They're like, yeah, but my partner this, she needs to this, this, or he needs to that, that, that. And he says this and, and we're like, we're talking about you. And it's kind of like this preoccupation with the other person. There's no self there. And that's the problem. That's why the codependent borderline with no real kind of identity 
takes on the identity and merges and fuses with the narcissist. That's why it's a soulmate type of situation. And what this is, is an unconscious need to repeat compulsively what was, what was incomplete with the past, with mom, with dad. And no amount of therapy that you do, that we do, can address that because logically you'll know that this person's not right. I knew the whole time. I knew the whole time that I was being used. <laughs> we were both using one another. And uh, it was very clear. And the worst part of this is, this is why it's really important for me to share this with people, is because if we don't get this, you'll enter into a relationship not having this awareness. And here's the problem. Getting into the relationship isn't an issue. Getting out of one can be very devastating, can be extremely costly financially, emotionally, uh, reputationally. When you're breaking free from narcissistic abuse, the moment you end it, isn't when the abuse ends. Often the abuse begins when the relationship ends. It's been happen to me, happening to me for four years, trying to break free from somebody who I know what it's like, who does not want to be broken free, wants to really is kind of getting off in a weird psychopathic way on the, the conflict itself because it's a repetition of that person's childhood. And so it's, it's, this is a cycle. A trauma bond is not a, a small thing. It's not something that we're wise to minimize. We just, uh, me and uh, we, in my circle of friends, we just buried a good friend who was going through a divorce, got himself involved in a trauma bond because he didn't deal, he didn't actually, he went through his divorce and didn't actually deal with the root cause of why the relationship broke down. He just tried to distract himself by finding other people, other women. And if we don't deal with it, kind of like in my situation, because I went through a divorce, it just kept getting worse. It, acceler it, it accelerates getting worse. Thinking that if we just meet somebody else, that'll save us. It actually, it seems to have, I look at my own life, it seems to have accelerated. That's a scary thing. People die because of the effect of trauma bonds and people's health starts to go to shit. If you don't believe me, I mean, we have cases where our, a client I, I'm thinking of, six years in this trauma bond, she can't get break free from this narcissistic kind of guy. He will never never admit to the fact that he's cheating. He's, he's in there. He gives breadcrumbs and they go through this cycle again and again and again. Infidelity is the thing that, that, that they're dealing with. It's not, you know, physically abusive or anything like that. But she tells me, she goes, whenever I go and hang out with him two or three days, like I lose touch with reality. Like I feel like I'm in outer space. And I asked her, I said, what's your health like when you get back? She goes, I'm anxious. I'm depressed. My, my, my digestion turns to shit. I started noticing this, and this is why me as a chiropractor, as a healthcare provider, I'm talking about this. This is a health concern. Insecure attachments are actually a health concern. 
they're actually at the hands of, at the root of many um, digestive issues, hormonal issues. It all has to do with unresolved attachment trauma. And these, and we actually get bonded to the trauma. For example, in, if you don't believe me with your health, if you as a child only got one on our last kind of team training uh, at the overview experience, one of the students basically said, I just realized that I used my illness to get attention. I'm like, yeah, you're trauma bonded to your illness. If you as a child, um, things were really chaotic at home and the only way you ever got seen, you ever got loved, you ever got hurt, uh, you ever got heard was if you got hurt, if you got injured, if you got uh, sick. Well, guess what? All of a sudden you get those things and now all you receive is love. You've now trauma bonded with your illness. I started seeing this majorly with people with uh, chronic pain, chronic illness. These are unconscious drives for your nervous system, for the child inside of you to get love because they don't feel worthy of love without this illness. And so when I started seeing this little unconscious strategy and motive that my patients were going through, I would bring it up and immediately see resistance. No, no, no. And I realized many people didn't want to let go of their illnesses for that very reason. There's an identity that we form around the diagnosis. There's an identity we form. We feel relief. Oh, it's not my fault. I can, oh, here it is. At one hand, we have something to, on one hand, it's a double-edged sword. We have something to explain our symptoms. Oh, thank God. I now know it's not me. It's not my fault. I'm blameless. I'm innocent. I'm not a bad person. I'm not broken. I just have fibromyalgia. I'm not broken. I just have osteoporosis. I'm not broken. Uh, I'm not, I'm not to blame. Uh, I have irritable bowel syndrome. It's my irritable. I have, uh, uh, Crohn's disease, right? And I'm, and I'm not minimizing your symptoms. I'm saying that these types of chronic disorders that are depressive in nature are often the result of unresolved anger toward a parent that didn't really see you. So you can't turn that anger toward the parent because that would involve a ruptured attachment. Where do you turn that anger? towards the self. This is the one of the most common patterns I see. Nothing personal, I just have seen it so many times and it fits the profile too. They're usually rescuers, they're social workers, they're nurses, they're, I mean, it's just, it's literally, I could write an avatar and I can describe this, this person. I would see them again and again and again. And then what I noticed, I just said, I, I didn't wanna work with them anymore. I only wanted to work with people who were ready to hear this pattern and say, all right, I'm done looking for a rescuer. I'm done looking for somebody to save me. I'm done looking for a knight in shining armor or this perfect fucking fantasy girl that's going to love me no matter what, uh, no matter how I treat her, she's just gonna love me and I don't have to, cause I'm so amazing. Cause I'm so beautiful, cause I'm so handsome, cause I'm so charming, cause I'm so rich, whatever, cause I'm so whatever that makes me entitled to being loved unconditionally. It's time to humble myself. It's time to get humble and really stop pointing fingers, stop grabbing a magnifying glass and pick up a mirror and look inside because the world needs, the world is filled 
with people going through a really tough time. This has never been, I've never seen it this bad. Uh, I'm very concerned for the huge future of humanity. Uh, most of us already before the pandemic and before this war that just started, uh, were not okay. Right. And so now this pandemic has come up and everything that we've been putting off is now bubbling to the surface. So it becomes really important to look at these trauma bonds and to take responsibility, not blame. Taking responsibility does not mean blame. Those that are stuck in that in their victim narrative, which I understand because now I uh, understanding neuroscience will have a tendency to be addicted. It's, it's kind of it's a form of narcissism. Um, what happens is, you know, the empath, codependent, empath, victim of, of survivor, uh, there, there, the, is who's mad at the narcissist. The narcissist is, can't be who they are without that person. There's two, they're basically two kind of sides of the same coin. Narcissism and codependency are solutions to the same trauma. The trauma of not feeling seen and heard by a mother by a mother who was emotionally dead, probably because she was in a codependent relationship, right? And she, because she was unfulfilled in her relationship, completely preoccupied there, because of the relationship between mom and dad, the child doesn't receive an adequate amount of love because of unconscious parenting. This is codependency because mom and dad were married together because of a trauma from, from a trauma bond. So because of that chaotic relationship, the child doesn't get seen, doesn't feel seen, doesn't feel uh, loved, feels like they have to perform or become the parent to one of their emotionally distant, emotionally challenged parents or addict uh, parents, and now takes on this rescuer role that they identify with, but deep down inside has a deep hatred has a deep hatred for mom and dad because of this, but because they can't express it, there are two solutions. The narcissist solution is to form a grandiose, exaggerated view of themselves, uh, to create this perfect, divine, um, flawless, uh, grandiose persona that they false self that they live up to that seems like they know what they're doing that is very um uh, that it desperately needs validation of this grandiose self you know i needed people to tell me how amazing i am so that i could feel good about myself without that i remember feeling like no amount of praise was ever enough it's just like this bottomless pit of neediness and that's basically called narcissistic supply now on the other end of that spectrum the codependent often the victim story becomes a source of their narcissistic supply so if you see somebody literally posting on social media nonstop about their victim story, just know there's an addiction there. There's an addiction just like narcissistic supply, that's the codependent supply, is validation for the victim story. Now, you wanna, you wanna see how this works, try introducing the concept to that victim that there's another perspective there that it's not because when you're in that victim story, you do what's called a, the codependent, the empath, the, the, the survivor. Really, when they're deep in that story, they will 
we will, we all do this, by the way, when I'm deep in that story, we do this thing called splitting or othering. There's a dichotomy, there's good and then there's evil. This person's good, that person's evil. And everything on my side is good, everything on that side is evil. You can see what, what they do, what Trudeau does with, um, you know, people who chose not to take the, the vaccine. It's like the good people and the evil people. Every tyranny has this, it's called splitting. Look it up. It's a narcissistic defense strategy. Whenever you're hearing a story of they're evil, I'm good. They're the monster. I'm blameless. You know, you're looking at a narcissistic defense strategy. Now, without really healing, without really going into really doing the healing work and integrating our shadows and connecting with those younger parts, we then in that space become addicted to our victim story the same way a narcissist is addicted to supply. This becomes codependent supply. And the reason why I say that is because I want to help people heal from this. I'm not making anybody wrong. A lot of times people accuse me of victim blaming. I'm not. Nobody's at fault. This is not your fault. This is not anybody's fault. Because once you really understand the mechanisms of this and you go into the history, you really see what were the perfect storm that had you showing up with this person, the codependent, the narcissist, the codependent borderline to the narcissist. And what happens is the narcissist sees this wound inside of you and can actually uh, resonate because they have the same one. And so what happens is with a trauma bond, unconsciously, the narcissist and the borderline strike a deal with one another. And this deal says, I'm going to become the mother that you never had. Your mother didn't love you. And I know exactly how that feels because we're soulmates. We're twin flames. We're, our souls have been kind of brought together and it's kind of partially true. It's to, to help reflect all the parts of us that haven't healed yet because you're looking at a mirror of one another. And what the narcissist says is that I'm going to love you like your mother did. I'm going to basically love bomb you and, and, and you're going to fall in love with yourself through my gaze. So a lot of times people are like, oh my God, I'm so in love with him. No, you're in love with the self. You're in love with yourself, the self that, that they created, <laughs> the self that they created. Um, you're in love with the self that they created uh, and, and, and through their eyes, like through, through the, his gaze, through her gaze, you can finally love yourself. That's the best defense, by the way, against this kind of, dynamic of trauma bonds is self-love. I'm going to get to that in a moment, but you know, the, the empath that says, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm an empath. I'm, I'm blameless. I'm, uh, I'm spiritual. I'm a Christian. I'm a Buddhist. I'm, you know, it's, that's kind of toxic passivity. You know, the invitation is for you to look and see if you were that much of an empath, how is it that you weren't able to really see you know what I mean? Uh, and, and the truth of the matter is empaths are also, you know, the blind spot of the empath who claims himself as the empath and really this grandiose kind of, uh, is that th there's a covert narcissism there and, and, and you were the perfect match for one another because you were reflections of one another. And I know that that hurts because especially depending on where you're at with your healing, if you just, if it's new and you really need to see them as the enemy, okay, as the villain, okay, that's fine. 
sometimes you need to do that. You know, you need to hate the person in order to have a little bit of strength in order to move on. Because if you drop the hate, you'll get sucked back in. So I get it. I see you. I just, I'm looking, you know, two years down the road, five years down the road. And I know that not everybody is ready for our level of programs of deep somatic healing. Um, but I, the invitation is if you're going to a therapist or a, you're in some sort of narc abuse forum type of victim group, um, if you're still telling the same story two years into it, you're not healing. You're actually limited. You've now... Um, kind of taken on this victim story as your new identity, which I would be careful with that. As a healthcare provider, that's the one thing that blocks healing. And there might be an unconscious strategy for you to stay sick. Maybe, you know, you get more attention and maybe there's a financial benefit from it. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that that's, that you're wrong for that. I'm saying I'm only speaking to those who are actually interested in healing. So this, this conversation, if it's, if it's really offending you, it's likely that you're not ready for this one and feel free. You can just, just, you don't have to be abusive about it. You could just hit that unsubscribe button, just one button and you never have to hear from me again. Nobody's going to pester you. Nobody's going to, you, you just unfollow or unsubscribe or you're welcome to do that. I'm not, you're definitely not the person that I'm wanting to talk to. I'm wanting to talk to those who are sick of it, who are like, okay, it sucked. I was hurt, but I'm ready to heal. And I want a real secure relationship. I don't want my life to be kind of monopolized by making a memoriam for this, this horrible human being and talking about them all the time, posting about them all the time, making them godlike figures. They're not a deity, you know? Um, <clears throat> you're not helping yourself by really staying in that victim story. Um, so this message is for those who are ready to dismantle the trauma bonds. How long is it going to take? Well, um, it depends on the level of resistance, you know, I mean, you might, you might have a financial gain to stay stuck in that story. It all depends on your incentive. When I think of certain clients of mine, uh, Teresa comes to mind. She's a nurse, single mother of five, and she's been following my content. And she said, okay, I can't keep going like this. I'm not excited. I don't want to take that responsibility, but I know I have to, because I'm done playing the victim. And it's like you can see this humble kind of uh, willingness to look inside rather than point fingers. You got to get there in order to heal. There's got to be a humbleness, a humbleness to the fact that none of this is your fault, uh, that you in all likelihood are bonded by trauma, bonded to your trauma. And dismantling this is not going to be an easy thing. So I'm going to give you a few tips that are really important for you. And then the model that we use to help people actually do this within, within a short period of time. I mean, this Teresa that I spoke of, it's now been six weeks and she, de she puts uh, like a little post after her, after the overview experience, she was like, after today's class, I was able to say goodbye to a relationship that I probably would have been tangled up in for months to years. And she was able to finally just let it go and not be in that dance anymore. And so 
when is it going to happen for you? You know, it's, it's tough to say, uh, it depends on your level of commitment. Um, depends on the degree of trauma that you had with your attachment wounds, your show up rate, um, and really getting guidance, right? So this is, um, this is really, really important for me to, to share this with you because without these tools, I was perpetually stuck in that situation. And when I left, I was like bewildered. I was like embarrassed. I was like, I can't believe I showed up this way. And once I made these shifts, I kind of put together five pillars. I looked and saw there's nobody out there that's really teaching how to transform this because there's a lot of people you know, talking about codependency. You just look, there's a ton of them. There's all these codependency coaches. There's all these trauma, there's people talking about trauma bonds and narcissistic abuse, but there's one thing lacking. I haven't yet seen somebody who's actually gone through it and then gone to the other side and actually created evidence of a healthy relationship. Often they don't talk about their own personal lives. I don't hear about it. So it's like, there's a cognitive knowledge that you can get by going to school and reading some books. And then there's the other type of knowledge, which is embodied, which is demonstrated in your reactivity. It's demonstrated in how authentic you are when you're speaking and teaching. It's uh, in your humility when you're t sharing your story. Often it's not, you know, often, you know, things that, that it require a great deal of vulnerability because we can't really heal from our trauma without authenticity and vulnerability. And so the distinction that I'm going to invite you to do is to when you're finding somebody to help you guide you through this process with whether you're going through a divorce, whether you're thinking about separating, you don't know if it's the right choice, whether you did it a few years ago and you can't get that person out of your mind, all of those, um, all of these things have very similar kind of root causes and you want to make sure that the person who's guiding you up that mountain has actually walked the path before has been, a, isn't just guiding people, but has actually cried the tears, done the work, um, puked, <laughs> vomited up that mountain. You know, if I'm hiking up Mount Everest, I want to make sure that the person who's taking me isn't just a guide, didn't read it in a book, but it actually walked up it and has stood on top of that mountain <clears throat> and can demonstrate to me that they have like, let me see pictures, let me see your life. Let me spend some time in your arena and listen to you and see if, if this feels right, even though it's challenging and you might bring up a lot of stuff. Does it feel right? Does it feel like a bunch of fucking hot air bullshit? Or is there some substance here? So that's the invitation. So this trauma bond is this, uh, this, you know, this desire, this compulsion to repeat. And here's where it begins. This is where, where it always like, you might be wondering, where does the trauma bond begin? How do I know? Here's how it happens. In the love bombing stage, where you kind of make this pact with one another, that I'll be your mother, like I'll be the mother that you never have. The narcissist makes that to the borderline codependent. Um, but in return, you've been listening to the Trigger Proof podcast designed to teach you the most important skill necessary for a dramatically changing world, which is nervous system regulation. Becoming trigger-proof doesn't mean trigger-less. It means learning how to regulate ourselves 
to bring us back to center so that we can then be governed by our purpose rather than from our wounds. Anytime there's reactivity, there's a wound. And if you're curious and inspired to learn more, join us at Breathwork and Badassery or the Overview Experience and a combination of both actually helps you do the work. There's a difference between listening to a podcast and actually showing up live and doing the work with a badass community who's all about breaking cycles of intergenerational trauma. It didn't start with you, but it can end with you if you're willing to do the work. See you at the next perfect time. Uh, I'm going to treat you like shit and then you're going to still take it and still be with me because that's proof that you, you won't abandon me. If I can mistreat you, if I can cheat on you, if I can devalue you and have you discarded and you still want me back, then that's proof that you really do love me like my mother didn't. And so you enter this pact and here's the other part. And this is what I noticed, even when I got married the first time, the desire for the narcissist in a trauma bond unconsciously is to individuate from his mother or her mother. There's a deep need. There's this resentment towards mother for not being able to see them. And so you enter this agreement unconsciously of a relationship deep down in the inside, there's an escape plan being made by the narcissist because that's how you individuate. It's like, I'm going to make you fall in love with me and then I'm going to discard you and have you pine after me because that's going to fulfill the broken part inside of me with my, with my abandonment wound with my mother. So this cycle keeps going again and again and again, driving you crazy mentally, driving you physically into exhaustion, um, anxiety, depression, mental health issues, digestive issues. And then if we don't really, you know, wake up and do the work, not just talk about it, not just go to a therapist once a week. I'm doing therapy once a week. Yeah, it's not going to work. I'm going to explain to you what needs to happen for you to break that. Um, then you, th we're then passing it on to our kids. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't until it really, you know, I'm, I'm doing this because I want to make sure my son is not involved in growing up in a, in a household that's based on codependency. It's really important. It's really important to me because, you know, that's why I'm here. It's a cycle and I'm not here blaming my parents or throwing them under the bus. They did the very best they could and they're very loving people. Everybody who meets them is like, oh my God, I love your parents. They're great. You know, intimate partners, intimate relationships aren't the same. This is the thing about kind of the covert or overt narcissistic um, personality types is that um, they're usually the pillar of the community. Everybody thinks they're amazing. They put on a good show as I used to be able to do, but intimate relationships suffer. And that's really the thing is to redefine intimacy, to really learn intimacy. That's how we heal. So, so to break your uh, trauma bonds, what, you know, the, some of the best practices basically is you, well, I'll, I'll just, I'll just kind of go over the path. And this is what we 
teach in our programs in this upcoming offer that I have for this exact thing. This is basically how I did it. So what we do is the first part is nervous system regulation. You got to understand the dynamics of your nervous system. You got to understand, you got to learn how to self-assess. You got to learn how to, I had to learn how to have emotional literacy. I didn't know how, I didn't realize I was using personal development to not feel icky shit. And so by learning my nervous system and understanding how to be an active operator of my nervous system, the first most important thing in breaking free from a trauma bond is you got to master your own nervous system. And you can't get that from a book. I mean, you can learn. I highly recommend you read a handbook to the polyvagal theory, handbook guide to the polyvagal theory. Um, these are really important books, but it's really important to actually get into the practices of it. It, uh, in our program, we have this thing called the neurosensory attunement, which is basically like a workout. It's like doing an ab workout for your nervous system. It refines you. It brings you flexibility. And it's not to have me be happy all the time because life is challenging sometimes. It's the whole goal is, is emotional and neural flexibility, a, a greater capacity to feel difficult emotions, difficult feelings. <clears throat> it's not about feeling better necessarily. This spiritual Pollyanna bullshit is very toxic. I'd rather you make it a point to master your own nervous system. The second part, well, let me just draw this better. Let me do this again. Let me do it like this. Boom, boom. So the first part is nervous system regulation. Those of you who've jumped into our Cycle Breakers portal, this is what we begin with. You're going to actually have um, uh, practices, neural exercises to do each day so that kind of like doing, you know, bicep curls, you start noticing things like, wow, I feel safer in my body. That feels weird. You'll have to deal with that. You have a new problem. If you've been used to constantly being hypervigilant, it'll be a mind fuck for you when you all of a sudden feel safe in your body. You'll, all, you'll, you'll DM me and my, my clients DM me and go, I don't have like crisis going on. I'm like, isn't that great? Yeah, but I, I don't even know. That's just so weird for me. I don't even know what to do. I'm like, this is a good problem to have is getting your nervous system used to safety. So it's kind of like being chased by a tiger. When you learn how to tame the tiger, but you've only been used to having a tiger and you look over your shoulder and you're like, fuck, there's no tiger there. I'm like, I know, isn't that a good thing? Yeah, but it's weird. I'm just so used to having them there. I've just developed a relationship with them. Hello, trauma bond. We're trauma bonded to our, our, our pain, our, our fear. The next part is clearing past, clearing past grievances. Speaking of grievances, if you can, I don't know if you can hear my son in the background. He's having a bit of a meltdown. Um, grievances. So the next part is clearing past grievances. Um, <clears throat> I want you to see your life as a, um, like a storage container. You have, you have like an attic. You have an attic in the back. You have a storage container. And I want you to see your entire life is full of like boxes full of like 
mementos, memories, uh, really painful pictures, and they're all a mess. And so what's happening is that your past is there. You've been carrying it like rocks on a backpack, but it is totally disorganized. And so if you want to create a secure relationship, if you try, it's like trying to hike up a mountain with a deep, like unnecessary rocks in your backpack. What's cool about it is those of you that are, have just jumped into the cycle breakers portal is I teach you how to take those old storage containers, go in there, kind of there's, it gets dusty. It gets dusty digging up the past looking, you know, I, I remember couple months ago, I went and cleaned up, my wife and I went and cleaned my storage container, brought up some memories and it was really uncomfortable. It's kind of like the dust going up. So you gotta be willing to bring up the past. This is one of the biggest challenges. One of the biggest obstacles is, I don't wanna, but can you help me heal my trauma? I just don't wanna bring up the past. I'm like, sorry, but I, I practiced mindfulness. Well, mindfulness is great, but the problem is you still have a, a narrative from your past that's not, conducive that's very um in, in what what's the word i'm looking for incongruent with a healthy future because it's holding you as hostage so you got to learn how to take the rocks in the backpack and take these past grievances and regrets and turn them into a coherent really aligned and congruent narrative with who you're becoming and any narrative that's stuck in your body is going to be true. So we might as well re-edit those narratives coded in the body that are conducive to a path of your healing, a path of, of, of you expanding, a path of you rising up and being able to help others. That's, that's really, really the thing. So that's the next part of our Cycle Breakers portal. And the third part is dancing with your dark passenger. I call it dark passenger. What do I mean by dancing with your dark passenger? Well, what I mean by that is because of these wounds from the past, we've created narratives about ourselves and we've also downloaded and have been infected. Their word, the psychological term is called interjection. We've been interjected into a super ego, which is of a, an inner critic. So we have this voice in our head that's been implanted in us by others, by mother, by father, by culture, by society. It's not even yours, but you are judging yourself according to that voice. So dancing with your dark passenger is a form of training we do in our, in our trainings where we help separate the, the real you, the inner voice from those outer voices. It's hard at first, especially if you're kind of dismantling from narcissistic abuse, you've been infected and colonized by this other person. There is no you there, it's a hollow core. So all your, all the voices in your head are the inner critic, which are the person kind of dumping and infecting you. And that takes some time to dismantle. At the beginning, you don't know what's your voice and you don't know what the other person's is. It's it's very difficult time, difficult time trying to determine what that is. But if you want to heal, you want to create secure relationships, 
you're going to have to learn how to dance with that dark passenger. Because if you don't, you can move to a new country, get into a new relationship, and that voice goes with you everywhere you go. It's like a prisoner. You can't get out of it. It sucks. It just keeps getting worse with every, it just kept getting worse with every relationship that I was with until I learned how to do this stuff. The next part is empathic communication. Empathic communication is to now put a new, implant a new language within your nervous system at a body-based level to those younger parts, to meet those parts that you are ashamed of and now start to speak to them, to look towards them, to feel towards them with love, with, a, with loving awareness, with compassion, with understanding, and with warrior-like discipline. Which brings me to my next one, which is commitment and community. Many people, many people falsely believe, here it is, is that cool right there? Perfect. Many people falsely believe that they're going to be able to solve this just by watching a YouTube video or a video like this. Oh, I'll just watch your videos and listen to your podcast. I'm really glad that these are raising awareness. And this is nothing like the real work. There is nothing like being in the container, doing the real work, which is an embodiment practices, which are embodied practices, which are discussions where you're listening to someone else going, holy shit, I'm not alone in this. The container is the guru. There isn't a one person who's like, oh, I got it all figured out. I'm just the guide. I'm on my own path. I'm not rescuing anyone. You're, I'm, I'm teaching people how to do it themselves. Those of you who've jumped into the Cycle Breakers portal, I'm really excited. We start tomorrow and you get to meet everyone. You get to break out into groups and then listen to each other's stories and go, holy shit, thank God I'm not alone. Thank God there's other people here who are awakening. There is a mass awakening that's needed in this community, in this, uh, in the middle. Uh, and people who get into these relationships, dynamics of trauma bonds is because there isn't a sense of love. What's in the middle is self-love. That's what I'm going to put in the middle right there. If you can see it, what happens is when you regulate your nervous system and you clear past grievances, you then develop a sense of presence great parenting, great, you know, leadership, uh, great sex, uh, great um, romantic partnerships, intimate partnerships require your presence. Doing great work, your creative work, your business requires your presence. If you are stuck in a trauma bond, you're never present. When you really learn how to regulate your nervous system and you clear your past grievances, you're now present. What happens when you clear your past grievance and you learn how to dance with your dark passenger? Well, you develop a sense of understanding. Understanding is the key to healing because there's a lot of shame. I just worked with uh, this one young man who just so much shame for how he behaved when he was in his teens. And after we went through the method, and we connected with those younger parts and he integrated his shadow and he felt into it and he had his emotions and his tears and he held space for that. He 
completely changed his judgment towards himself to understanding. He felt this incredible sense of relief. It was like 10 pounds was just lifted off of his soul. And he's like, wow, I've been hiding from myself all along. Yeah, you've been running from your shadow. I've always been trying to hide from him. Yeah, exactly. But now I understand him. Bingo. And once you learn how to dance with your dark passenger and your nervous system is more regulated, you develop a sense of authenticity. Authenticity. You will not be able to have a healthy relationship that's based on secure love if you're full of shit. And most of us are full of shit because we're trying to not piss people off. We're trying to be pleasers. Oh, there it is. We're trying to please. We have the disease to please. We've been pleasing all our lives, trying to put on this false self so that other people can like us because we've already rejected ourselves. And um, it just feels a lot more free when you don't have to show up in, in life trying to do that. Your relationships start to change. Um, emo like em relationships start to change. Uh, romantic partners start to become more authentic. You can ask for what you want. You can say no. You can set boundaries. You don't have to lie to yourself or one another. Um, it feels good. And um, when you have a secure relationship at home, your health changes your feeling of safety transforms and you'll be able to achieve more in your career, in your personal, in your career, because you have that stability at home. Like doing what I do is not easy. Putting my stick in my neck out, speaking up some really uncomfortable truth to people who often aren't ready to hear it. People don't want to be, people want to kind of stay asleep you know, you might be listening to me going, ah, you know, I know he's right, but I don't really want to deal with it. And I'd understand most of us just want to sweep it under the rug. I'm saying that the, the, the world needs you. The world needs you to break this cycle. Everyone's asleep because of that. That's the nervous system dissociation. It's a protective mechanism. But I wonder what would happen if more people started to raise their hands and say, I'm ready to be a cycle breaker. I'm ready to, um, break this pattern of push-pull dynamics. I'm ready to experience a love that feels mutual. Um, how do I know if this is going to help me, if I'm the right person? Well, here's a good test I'm going to give you, get you to do right now. I want you to close your eyes and imagine yourself right now. Imagine yourself. I just did this test on a client of mine who was like, yeah, I know, I know where my block is. You want to find out what your block is in within your relationship dynamics. You're pointing the finger. You're saying that person's a narcissist. You love labeling people, whatever. Okay, great. Let's put that aside and let's do this one neural test right now. Close your eyes. And I want you to imagine yourself in a relationship that feels really stable and secure. That feels safe, that you're embracing, that you're unconditionally loved. Take a moment and just feel into that. Notice what comes up in your body. The ideal partner that you wish your partner was that wasn't showing up that way. Okay, let's say that they are the perfect person. Imagine they're now saying, I'm yours, you're mine, I love you. And just imagine yourself there. 
might be some sensations. It might feel good, but then you'll notice something else coming up. And just pay attention to what happens in your body. If there's fear that comes up, if there's trembling, if there's this, you want to really examine that. And in the last person who realized that she was in this situation, when I did this with her, she was like, started crying. I said, why are you crying? She goes, I don't feel like I deserve that. I'm like, bingo. That's an attachment trauma. That didn't start with you. And that cycle can be broken. And unless you break that, unless you get that internally, then don't expect someone else to come into your reality and fix that for you. It just doesn't work that way. We're not living in fucking fantasy land fairy tales. Life is not a fucking Disney movie. You know, we watch all these movies, read these novels. If I can't close my eyes and look in the mirror, and this is what I did. This is when I, it hit me, I asked this question. Would you, if you had a daughter, would you want her to marry you? And I was like, fuck no. And I was like, all right, I know I have some work to do. And I wanted to become the kind of man that if I had a daughter would marry. Not perfect, but willing to look at himself and take responsibility. And I realized that secure relationships are a work in progress. And so you got to integrate that victim story. You got to become a master of your own nervous system, understanding how to become trigger proof, not trigger less, but learn to self-regulate. You got to learn to cultivate this self-trust. You got to learn to cultivate self-trust. I don't trust anyone. Listen, when you trust yourself, it doesn't really matter if the other person is trustworthy or not. Let me say that again. Once you trust yourself fully, it doesn't matter if the other person is trustworthy or not because you can show up, tune in, check in, and your inner guidance will let you know. And that's the gift of healing our traumas, breaking our trauma bonds. So for those who are listening and are saying, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready to do this. Uh, normally, we in our programs, uh, people were either too scared to invest or they didn't trust or they, didn't, they couldn't afford it. So I created a facilitator program this year because I was like, I can't do this alone. And more people are stepping up and wanting to learn how to help others break the cycle. <coughs> so in our Cycle Breakers Collective, we've had a bunch of people step up and become facilitators. And I'm training them how to do it. And we all put our heads together and said, let's put together a 90-day program that teaches people how to break these trauma bonds within a community dynamic. You get all of these things, nervous system regulation, unpacking and dismantling your past resentments towards parents, siblings, caregivers, whoever, dancing with this dark passenger, which is a really fun part when we're doing it as a collective. It's really fun to see that you're not the only one who has shame, who carries shame and just thinks that they're unworthy. It's really common. Um, how learning how to empathically first communicate with the self and then with others and really something that you can commit to. When the going gets tough after these 90 days, those of you who are jumping in, I'm just warning you, the obstacle will show up. But what if I'm not consistent? Oh, don't, let me, let me put you at ease. You will have your obstacles show up. The very thing that you're signing up and registering to heal will show up in the first two weeks. So 
what you're doing as a community and with guidance and a little bit of accountability is having somebody, having a group of people where you can just continue to be committed that today is day one. And something powerful happens. Within 90 days, which is around a quarter of the year, there's no way that you have not made incremental progress. How far? I don't know. I'm not going to say that every person like Teresa within five weeks will be able to leave a relationship. Some of you, it's been a lot longer. You've been there longer. You've been there with this person 10, 20 years. It's not going to be a fucking picnic walk in the park, but at least you're going to have the tools, the community, the guidance to be able to go within and learn it because it's self-mastery because nobody's coming to rescue us. That rescuer mentality, that damsel in distress needing for someone, help me, is what got us there in the first place. So we got to invest in our vision, receive guidance, because there's no way that I could do this alone, and commit. And so for those of you who are ready, we the cart closes in 24 hours. And we're going through all of these steps as a collective. And those of you who've jumped in already... I applaud you. You guys are the cycle breakers and the world needs you to break this cycle. And the question that I have is who benefits the most in your life other than yourself when you take on the trauma healing work? Because a rising, <clears throat> a rising tide lifts all boats. And so I know that I've, as I've done this work, I've, be, I've been able to have a really safe relationship with my wife. And because she feels safe under my, in my container and secure in my container, Dominic is super duper healthy. All of the, the CDC guidelines for, for children's milestones, like they've pushed them back because of collective trauma that partially of which the CDC has created you know, masking children and all that, the walking, the crawling, the talking, they've all been pushed back and delayed. Whereas that's not normal. We're normalizing traumatic delay. I don't want to normalize this. I mean, I'm normalizing the experience, but not normalizing that children walk six months later, children talk 12 months later, or children you know, crawling isn't even a milestone anymore. What the fuck? Like what's happened? We're in the zombie apocalypse. The world needs you to step up. And if you don't know who you are, maybe consider the possibility that you were born in this planet to break the, 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 the curse of these traumas in your bloodline. If when I took that identity of being a cycle breaker, it made the difficult task of taking responsibility for all of my emotions and all of my, you know, wounds, it made it more tolerable. And the invitation is for you to do the same. Thank you so much for your DMs and your comments. Uh, I read all of them, even the hate. Um, I mean, I can take it. I know I didn't want to be the voice for this stuff. I, I totally did not imagine myself in this situation. But I sat there and said, look, how did I get here? Um how do I make sure it doesn't happen again in this relationship dynamic that got volatile, that the police were involved in? How do I make sure it doesn't happen again? And number three, if I can do number one and number two, can I teach this to other people? And it appears it's happening. People's lives are changing 
divorces are happening without lawyers involved because they've been able to heal. One of the clients that we've been working with, Brody, um, he, he's got he's got uh, an ex-wife with they have twins together. After six weeks, she DMs me and goes, I don't recognize my ex-husband anymore. I want to do the work too. And now, a few weeks into her program, her and Brody are now actually saying, we want to create a program and support um, conscious co-parenting or courageous co It's called courageous co-parenting. And they're building this. As they're doing this, that's the vision. Can you imagine Co-parenting trauma is one of the most common causes after divorce of trauma being passed down to the kids. Now that they both took this course, our course together, they are now wanting, which inspired me to tears, they're wanting to support other mom and moms and dads who are co-parenting to do it in a way that doesn't, that minimizes the, the trauma impact on the kids. You know, parental alienation, talking shit about your father. That's traumatic to a child. That's abuse. And, and unconscious parents who are at the effect of their traumas are doing this. It's being perpetuated like a virus. So consider the possibility that the world needs you to be the most healed version of yourself. And this program that we're starting tomorrow, doors close in less than 24 hours from this this is your opportunity to do it for 10 bucks an hour, 10 to 15 bucks an hour. And so most people who've been um, complaining that, that therapy, high, like trauma-informed, high-quality training and coaching is inaccessible, inaccessible, now I've solved that. And so if this resonates with you and you're ready to go from these push-pull dynamics and have relationships that feel safe, that feel mutual, that you are not so preoccupied by what other people think of you, you're able to erase that voice in that voice in your mind and move that to something that's more compassionate towards yourself, change your health, change your self-worth, follow that link and we'll see you at the next perfect time. Big love to you.